Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we have the absolute pleasure to uh, to have on board and on the podcast a friend, a fellow startup, uh, and somebody that is really making the difference uh, into the cybersecurity space, into the startup space, breaking the barriers. So I have Jonathan Slater, the co-founder of Capstock, together with Lona and Andrea, uh, they are changing the way people are learning and getting into this cyberspace. So it was really, really important for me to bring you on board so that everybody can hear the capsule story. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Super excited. <laughs> so maybe you can tell our audience, you know, a little bit about your background, your story. How did you stumble across this kind of crazy project that you started and successful? Yes, uh, background, you know, very entrepreneurial from sort of, you know, selling chewing gum at school through to making <laughs> hair ties and selling hair ties on eBay at university to pay for nights out, etc. Through to then, you know, co-founded a business called My Horse Box, which is in the equestrian se- sector. Throughout that time, I was always a freelance recruitment consultant. So really good understanding of the cybersecurity labor market. So I used to work with candidates and employer partners to, to place those together. And at that point, really had a, you know, saw the labor market and the struggles employers were going through to hire talent, basically, you know, the skills gap has been growing and growing. At the flip side, there was educational models in in the USA. So for example, Lambda School, using something called an income share agreement to try and break down barriers for everybody to access career career change in education. So really at that point, the idea started to sort of come together for CAPSOC in terms of how can we take people who are at risk of career redundancy or at a stage Mm -hmm. in their lives where they want to change. And that can be someone coming out of university, coming from their A-levels or Someone who's, you know, in their 50s who just wants to change career or is facing redundancy. How can we help those people reskill and at the same time uh, contribute to closing that skills gap? Um, so when we were thinking about that sort of inclusivity, diversity, helping people from all backgrounds came to mind. And that's really sort of where the idea originated in terms of career ch- career change in education without the red tape of you know university structures etc and alongside a an innovative finance model like an income share agreement where there's no mm-hmm. upfront costs instead people pay on success when they graduate um so anyway i i spoke to lorna and, then, uh, lorna and andrea who were friends at the time sort of banded this idea together um they completely changed it to make it feasible and then at that <laughs> point we became co-founders um and you know it's been an amazing journey over the last two years. I'd love to talk about it. Um, talk about capsule and the things we've discovered and the outcomes and all the learnings we can give to industry. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my story in a, in a nutshell, really. No, that that's great, and and I think that the income agreement is it helps breaking for real the barrier, not just talking about breaking the barrier and mm. reducing the the skill gap. But maybe from from that aspect, what do you think uh, the, the main problems on on the educational sectors are, and uh, what do you think the state of the industry is right now? Yeah, so I mean, thinking about the state of the industry, you know, our, our knowledge is within education, skills, and sort of diversity. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. those things. And um, so we're 
by 2023, there's going to be around 100,000 cybersecurity jobs unfilled. You know, that includes cyber-enabled roles as well. So if you think of a cybersecurity vendor, project managers, they need cybersecurity mm -hmm. experience, for example. Um, so that's one of, that's the skills gap we're looking at trying to, to tackle. Um, in terms of education right now, we think, you know, traditional higher education, not suitable for the workplace. You know, you look at university graduates coming out, they're going to need six, nine, 12 months to get up to speed and right. add value to an organization before they even become billable. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, we've got the diversity and inclusivity aspect as well. And that really comes down to the gender gap. So within mm -hmm. cyber, about 16% are women. And that that percentage becomes lower when you look at the more technical roles or more senior roles. So again, that's something we're really passionate about trying to fix. So the state for us at the moment is, you know, there's going to be a very big reskilling transition as, you know, careers right. change, as businesses become digitized and risk management, you know, turns into cybersecurity. Um, we're going to see, you know, a, a big shift and people needed to reskill. So you think of software developers, cybersecurity, AI, machine learning, sec devops etc these are all sectors where we're struggling with skills gaps and at the same time you've got a ream of you know tens of millions of people who need to reskill in the next 10 years so there's an opportunity there right to take people who have got workplace experience reskill them and bring them into areas like cybersecurity. um in yeah. terms of education yeah we we i guess lorna and andrea they co-authored um, and designed the one of the first master's degrees um, for Bradford University back in 2004. Mm -hmm. And just to change the name from Internet Communication System Security to Cybersecurity took two and a half years to go through that process, right? So we're, we're really in a position where we bring the best of, the, you know, the rigor of higher education. They do things right sometimes, mm. but mix that with sort of the agility and the leanness of being a startup, being able to deliver education without any barriers or red tape. No, and I think that's great. That's that's smashing the barriers and bringing innovation and bringing the agility and speed on a sector that is, mm. you know, changing consistently. It's, it's changing faster than a normally university can adapt and university red tape as you rightfully say, can mm. bring. Um, but maybe in in the most, you, you mentioned maybe two or three kind of skills, AI, DevSecOps, engineering, maybe in those fields, uh, what, what have you seen in terms of demand from the market? And on the flip side, what are the challenges in getting into these this kind of topics overall? Yeah, I think, you know, whenever we speak to employer partners, you know, cybersecurity is absolutely a massive issue they need to solve. But they always say software engineers, software developers, <laughs> yeah, data scientists, the problems are always the same, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just this shift. Whenever new markets emerge, new technologies emerge, uh, as, as we get further into this digital revolution, education always takes time to catch up. So you think back into the 60s, 70s with the industrial revolution, you know, education takes maybe 10, 15 years to get to the point where it can produce people who can go into these lines of work. So at this point right now where education is trying to catch up, you've got the private sector like Capslock, for example, trying to solve mm -hmm. the problem. And you've got a lot of pressure on universities now being, you know, say you're not preparing people for the modern workplace. It's time to catch up. But, you know, modern workplace, so tech orientated for some people and for some organizations, it's really difficult to make that transition. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's what we think at the minute in terms of the education sector. In terms of the specifics they need. The, the tech skills are really important, but mm -hmm. actually what we see is the soft skills as well. So when we say soft skills, we mean like impact skills, so problem solving, critical thinking. If you look at the World Economic Forum in terms of the top 10 skills employers need, it's just 
it's those skills like problem solving, critical thinking, working in a team effectively, um, being able right. to communicate written and spoken English. Those are really important. And all of our employers, that's like a prerequisite. So some might have really deep technical requirements, but without the soft impact skills, again, you're not going to be able to be effective in a workplace. So that's sort of another area we're focused on as well. And not highly paid. So I think uh, I always, uh, I love what you just said, because I always go back to Daniel Carnegie and saying, you know, if you you can learn anything but if you want to excel at something then those are the soft skill the human skill the interpersonal skills mm. and the ability uh or, or learning how to learn that is is the important things and, and i like that you touch on that aspect because traditionally you know the cybersecurity is a very technical field and we've been asked as techies to only focus on, you know, solving tech, solving tech, but 90% of the problem in cyber are human related. <laughs> <laughs> and we're preparing a generation of people that are not able to deal with the human. I absolutely agree. You know, when you, we've seen a lot of other initiatives who try to tackle this problem, some successfully, some without. But, you know, the way we think about cyber is, you know, process people tech or people process tech. You know, tech is really important and it can help in a lot of regards. But, yeah, like you said, 90% of the time it all comes back to that, la that layer eight problem, right? The humans sat behind the, the keyboard. <laughs> so, um, you know, the way we teach is thinking about sort of everything's underpinned by risk and risk management. As businesses are digitized, that risk has become cybersecurity effectively. It's how we think about it. And that people process side, a lot of education, cybersecurity education specifically, is missing that out. So how can you teach people, you know, how to create an effective cybersecurity culture? It's a really difficult thing to teach. How can you teach people about how to present MI and metrics to a board, for example, when you're part of a cybersecurity team? Super important, right? We, many CISOs listening to this will, will know that, you know, the way you present to a board or the way you act to the board might have an effect on your budget next year, for example. So these are all things we think about and teach as well. And we think they're super, super important in the future of work, right? No, no, and I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. But maybe back on that mindset, the soft skill, how do you see maybe us bringing diversity and, and trying to smash fundamentally the barriers that, you know, technical roles are traditionally just taught to be for uh, one specific gender, one specific type of people? How do we encourage, first of all, people from different backgrounds, different gender, different mindset? to get on board uh, and then second of all how we we modify fundamentally the industry i know those are very mm. hard questions that nobody has one answer <laughs> to but let's try to, to talk about it yeah, yeah we nearly got an answer to it we think we've, we're doing well on it uh, i mean like when you think of gender diversity in tech it's you know it's a systemic societal problem we need to solve so um let's start at the beginning in terms of like school computer science being on the curriculum you know, girls being encouraged to take that path. Um, mm -hmm. Parents not unconsciously or, you know, unconscious biasly affecting their children because of their gender in terms of pushing in certain directions. That's right at the sort of deeper societal level, things need to change. On the flip side, you know, as a cybersecurity sector, what we can do is use more inclusive language, just be aware of some unconscious biases. And I'll tell you about a study we did. So mm -hmm. obviously three co-founders at Capsock, myself, Lorna Armitage and Dr. Andrea Cullen. Lorna and Ar uh, Andrea, super, super experienced, far more experienced than I am. Now, what we noticed when we were going to meetings, external meetings with investors, cybersecurity employers, suppliers, and so on, is that when we spoke to people, they always said my name more than Lorna and Andrea's for some reason. Um, you know, even when we're going in as equal co-founders, when we've prepped them before the meeting, the questions always came to me as the least in it, as the least experienced person on the team. And uh, we 
we believed it was down to unconscious bias. So we started to try and uh, measure this. So what we measured was how many people say our individual names and sort of made a tally of how many people say Jonathan, Lorna or Andrea. It turns out that around 85% of the time people said wow. my name compared to Lorna and Andrea's. And these are like, they're two industry professionals and people like talking about cybersecurity curriculum and even like Lorna and Andrea's ideas and just pointing the questions at me, which is really, really interesting. So anyway, we published this study. It's done really, really well. So I think as a man in cybersecurity, I think, you know, 84% of people listening to this podcast will be male, is just be aware of those unconscious biases. And whoever's in the meeting, whatever level, whatever gender, just make sure they're included, right? If I'm taking a team member to a meeting, I don't want people addressing just me because that team member is there for a reason. It doesn't matter what role they do. So just be aware that everybody in the meeting needs to be addressed, really. So that's what we can do as a collective mm-hmm. is just be aware of this. Initiatives just for women. They're super important, right? Because right now women need extra equity or extra opportunity to catch up because they're so underrepresented and affected in that regard. So when you think of like a women-only cohort or Cyber First for women, which GCHQ Mm -hmm. run, for example, or um, companies doing women-only training programs or looking, just make sure that people are aware of the problem and and actively try and solve it. It's going to be a really important step to make. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. Those are fantastic, actionable example and, and real use case and real case scenarios that um, I, had a, I had a female co-founder and, and I found exactly, exactly the same mm. thing. You know, uh, I'm Italian, so I tend to speak like <laughs> there is no tomorrow. <laughs> so that might be you know, uh, uh, unconscious bias, but conscious uh, <laughs> conscious <laughs> speaking disorder. But that's 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 a secondary problem. But absolutely, I, I, I totally agree with you. But maybe a little bit of a, of a, of a thing that I always had is, how aren't we not with, with addition, adding fundamentally quota and shares and, and starting this uh, fundamentally woman-only program Aren't we falling into danger of saying, oh, you got the place just because you're a woman or you got into that opportunity just because you're a woman? It's a bit of a controversial thing. And, you know, I've been mm-hmm. speaking out on this because it I don't think there is an answer. But what's your yeah. take on this? Yeah, I think if you look at society right now, you know, men... They have not not an advantage, but they're not disadvantaged, um, whereas women can be disadvantaged. And there is so much research about that proving that that's the case. Right. So when you think of if you run specific initiatives for women, does it disadvantage men? Um, not not really, because they're not initially disadvantaged. What you try to do is, is lower <laughs> that playing field. Right. <laughs> so if you're taking away. Let's say men might think you're taking away an opportunity for them, but what, what you're actually doing is trying to level that playing field and making sure women have just the right opportunity, mm-hmm. the same opportunity as as men as well in the sector. Um, and, you know, there's so much research out there in terms of society that there is that unconscious bias or not even unconscious all the time in terms of sexism. So, yeah, you know, I, I get where you're coming from with that argument. It's not your argument. It's an argument you hear all the time. Yeah, it's an industry argument. Yeah, um, and maybe back to, in the playing field. Yeah, 
No, I, I like the idea, and I think it's is there is no right answer. It's a controversial argument. Is 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 a fact of change. You know, it's the, the the society trying to change it, trying to do better. But there will be always like friction and constraint mm. point and evolution and growth pain. But maybe I want to circle back also on the diversity subject. Considering you have a wide, wide cohort of people that come from different background, different gender, different, uh, you know. Uh, hmm. cultural difference how are you finding that kind of mix uh encourage the learning versus the more elite maybe school where you know you traditionally hmm. find just one gender or one specific background have you seen what are the stories or, or the positive or maybe negative as well um thing that you saw Yes, yeah, so if you think of education right now, if you want to go to university, what they're really good at is measuring IQ. So what score did you get in your A-levels, right? But there's so much more to measuring someone's potential uh, than just measuring IQ. So you think of EQ in terms of, you know, social intelligence, emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You think of drive and determination. For us, that's the number one thing. Um, you know, you can have the smartest person in the world, but if they don't have drive and motivation, if they don't have good EQ in terms of impact skills or the willingness to learn those, then it's going to be difficult for that individual. So what we what we see at Capsule, well, what we do is we reskill adults to become cybersecurity professionals via an intensive training program. And what we wanted to do was make it as inclusive and accessible and affordable for everybody as possible. So what we judge people on is it doesn't matter where you've been or what your background is. It depends on where you're going, you know. After 16 weeks, do you have the potential to be an entry-level cybersecurity professional? And how do you measure that competency? Is it IT skills? Is it IQ? Is it, you know, coding experience? And actually what we found is it all comes down to that drive and motivation and that willingness to learn. Because if you can work hard for 16 weeks, it is amazing in terms of what you see as results, like learning full-time nine to five almost um so that's been the biggest indicator for us so we've had professional dancers marketing managers project managers people from an it background policemen police women um yeah you name it we've had it on the on the capsule program and there is no correlation in terms of past experience and background in terms of what their outcomes can be so one of our most successful graduates is a former junior project manager and alongside mm-hmm. that, a, a former dancer who's gone on to do very, very well. Um, whereas people from an IT background, what we've seen a couple of those haven't been quite as successful because of other barriers in their life. And that might come down to those soft impact skills we, we spoke about before. Right. So we measure potential. Do you have the appetite and willingness to, to go and do it? Now, the way we do education, we, we use something called team-based learning. So when you're on the course, you go through the course as a team. You're in a team of four, five, six, et cetera. And that team is super diverse. So you might be, let's say, put you in the, in the shoes as an IT analyst. Um, you might be in a team with a head chef, with a project manager, with uh, an account manager from sales, somebody who works in marketing. And actually, when you go out to try and solve problems, so what we do at Capsock is, right, here's a problem, a cybersecurity problem. What skills do you need to be able to solve that problem? Once you have those skills, right, let's apply those and solve this problem. Right. Does the problem stay the same? The solutions are always best practice is how we think about this. And when you're working in a team with such diversity of thought, Actually, the contribution and the way you solve that problem um, is just amazing. The, ro- the results we see and the assets and the solutions they come up with are just amazing because of that diversity of thought. So, yeah, there's diversity in terms of gender, ethnic minority, et cetera, but diversity of thought is super, super important as well. 
No, I love I love I love that training, but maybe on on <laughs> on the opposite side, aren't you making your life extremely hard in having these very you know the, the advantage of a university has a standard curriculum, a standard exam, and then mm. you know you either are in that standard or you're not. And I understand yeah. the reason for it, but uh, on, on the flip side, isn't it extremely complex to maintain a system like that for well, training on problem solving and other and other softer balance skills? Yeah, like, I mean, like it's it's not easy to deliver education like that, and you know, it's long around you. 15 years in education, absolute experts, written white papers and studies on education, and how people learn. So but we're we're doing something which is really hard. That's why we think we're, you know, being successful because this is a problem which is difficult to solve. But what right. is, you know, if you think of something called Bloom's taxonomy in terms of how people learn and how much information they retain, the higher levels in terms of retaining information and being able to apply that new information come from teaching others, come from discussion, deep discussion. But when you uh, and applying that knowledge directly on problems, but when you're mm -hmm. listening and when you're reading, you might retain 20% of that knowledge, um, which is put right. in front of you. So when it's lecture based or slide based, uh, you think of those five day training courses around certifications. <laughs> that's what we call rote knowledge in terms of, right, OK, that's that knowledge. It's difficult to remember because it's but when you're working in a team, solving problems, discussing, teaching others, that's when that deeper learning comes and where you can apply the knowledge. So that's what we try to do. Set up a training course, a training course, a, a program, a reskilling program program around absolute cutting edge in terms of how people learn um, mm -hmm. and being able to do that online. No one else has done it as, as good as us before. We think in the world, I think we're, we're world leading in terms of how we deliver the education. So no, excited to take to it to you. our sectors as well, right? Yeah, no, my hat to you because first, let's mention that you started a startup just before the pandemic. So you had to deliver something that is traditionally <laughs> team learning and Everybody has mm. has struggled enormously to to keep the team focused, and you know you had schools, you yeah. had other teams. So, congratulations for for starting a very successful business on on that journey in a very difficult time. Yeah. Uh, but maybe how did you keep the attention and the focus high where other organizations or other schools have traditionally failed and given up on you know which is going to deliver a blob of information and then it's up to you <laughs> to retain it. <laughs> Well, exactly right. So I guess we can use some of our stats here. So we have a retention rate of 96%. So someone enrolls, they're 96% of the time going to complete the course. If you compare that to university or other boot camps, they're in the mm -hmm. 78%. So like the way we teach is super engaging. People want to be there. You know, team-based learning is amazing. You're in a team for 16 weeks. The friendships you make and the journey yes. you go on with that team is immense and really contributes to retention. At a flip side, you know, we've got the outcomes and the support in place. The support here is amazing. So like education, career changing education can be really hard, especially when it's intensive. So having a good support structure around that's super, super important. And that's what maximizes retention rate as well. So you think of mental health first aiders, you think of career support, you think of professional coaching. These are all things you need to include to have really, really good outcomes. No, that's brilliant. And maybe in terms of the curriculum that you cover, what, what curriculum have you find uh, to be kind of that right mix that enables people to then jump off into the next level of role? Or what role right now you prepare? Yeah, so what what we wanted to do, because cybersecurity is so complex, right? It's very, it's quite rare, actually, you're in quite a siloed role in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is think people process tech, and we've broken down into 
a number of problem areas. So high level, we start off with understanding business. Why does cybersecurity exist and how does that fit in? Think about security culture, MI metrics, you know, onboarding an employee. How do you do that in a way which is, you know, supportive of a good cybersecurity culture? You know, that's a problem which people are struggling to solve. And then we go into security by design. So thinking about sort of risk, risk management underpins everything on our curriculum, even when we get to the use of technology parts, you know, cloud you. infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, somebody who says risk in cybersecurity are the same thing. Well, it's everything, isn't it? That's why it exists. Um, and, and people often forget that. I'm sure many CISOs are going to be happy to hear that right now. Um, yeah, we do security by design, so networking fundamentals in there as well. And then sort of we go into applied security. So even touching on things like applied cryptography cryptography for example can't even say it. it's that difficult um then we go to <laughs> access control i am palm etc super important nowadays so looking at things like access directory and so on we're going to offensive defensive security operations so you know both very tied in together and what you start to see at this point as you move through the curriculum is the things you learned in the first two or three weeks start to overlap so when you come to thinking about cloud cloud security, everything you've learned about risk management or networking fundamentals comes into play. So it's kind of like a spider web and it's this scaffolding approach. So we touch on offensive, so we look at SOC and offensive security. Um, but when we think about those things, we're doing it from a point of risk management. You know, why do clients and companies need these services and what we're doing here? How do you write a report and so on? And then we wrap everything up with business continuity and incident response. So in that business continuity and business resilience piece, you use everything you've learned from the last 14 weeks and tie it into one big one big sort of not project but one area where everything comes into account and alongside that they'll, they'll do some professional certifications as well CISP <laughs> <laughs> everybody coming up for the CSSP <laughs> sorry I had to throw that at the... <laughs> who doesn't know the CISP <laughs> yeah yeah you know, ISC Squared are doing some good stuff. They're bringing out a, an entry-level cybersecurity um, certificate. I think it was in beta mode um, Q4 last year. So we're excited to see what that looks like. No, and, and, and I think CSP is traditionally bashed. And for, who doesn't know CSP is a <laughs> traditional doomsday certification that is like a lot, tons of books of exam, six-hour oh, yeah. exams, and uh, very expensive to maintain also going forward. Mm. But I, I think... What I like to break on, on, on the CISP and then uh, circling back on your curriculum is that that breadth of views that traditionally we tend mm. to forget in cyber. So cyber tend to be very faceted and very multidisciplinary uh, field. And we tend to forget that by just choosing, you know, the pen testing, the SOC team, you know, those tend to be maybe the two or three things that, you know, we saw everywhere and maybe it's because they're the more lucrative and easy to learn, but without the basis, then you, you don't have the agility to move around uh, the organization and then you get stuck in that, uh, in that role. So I, I really yeah. appreciate the fact that you give that risk sense and that breadth of view so that after that, it kind of give you like a trampoline to say, you know, I want to become a pen test. I want to become a risk assessor. I want to become a cloud security specialist. I love that. And maybe yeah. on that subject, are you thinking for maybe later on some specialization courses or has the market kind of driven you to maybe some more specialized role or are you going to remain uh, preparing kind of the base of the next cybersecurity generation? 
Yeah, I think the problem with like laser focused and solving right now is people at risk of career redundancy and that skills gap. So like if you can, you know, build up that early funnel of cybersecurity professionals coming in, that they can go on and specialize and help companies in so many different ways. And at the same time, you know, we want a solution which is going to help people, you know, avoid career redundancy. Yeah. So that's what we're focused on. You know, there's a lot of conversation around you know, once you've graduated, once you're an alumni, if you're a cybersecurity professional, if you're a stock analyst, for example, what about a dedicated intensive course on information security awareness and how to implement that in an organization? So it's conversations we're having and thinking, but, you know, we're laser focused right now on that bigger problem. No, I, li- I like the laser focus. And that actually brings <laughs> me back to the startup culture and the startup philosophy, because you brought in a startup in a very traditional field. So how... How on earth have you decided to do so? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's challenging, isn't it? Uh, it is very tr- education and training has always been very traditional. We were really fortunate that, you know, we decided we're going to build for online delivery. The pandemic mm-hmm. hit and everybody was basically forced online. So everybody's been normalized with this way of working, with this way of interacting, which, you know, bodes well for completely online de- delivery. Um I think the team is so strong here, the management team, the board around us, the investors around the table that, you know, we set out a plan for, you know, year one in 2021 and we've just been able to execute on that. You know, the demand is there for people who need to reskill and employers are doing their part as well in terms of taking on people for those junior roles. Um, You know, we've got some great employer partners who are super passionate about this and we're delighted to work with them and, you know, provide a solution to, to help them. So. Um, obviously, being a startup founder, there's loads of challenges and perks and personal <laughs> development you need to come over, right? Um, but touch wood, it's going super, super well so far. But no, and, and how have you, maybe on, on that startup aspect, have you kept the team kind of laser focused and together? What are the kind of magic mm. tricks that you use, especially in the pandemic? <laughs> that traditionally startup is like a family that everybody kind of bundles mm. up together and works together now that we are in a completely distributed way and you guys are remote first how have you kept that idea of bundled up yeah i think it comes like um you know as free co-founders right at the beginning what we wanted to set was a really good culture within the organization you know Laura and Andrea left very high paying jobs to come and earn a lot less and do a lot more work um <laughs> and what what was a, a, a fantastic surprise for us over the last year was when we built that culture and what we wanted to achieve for the people who worked, you know, within Capsop was a place of inclusivity, diversity, where you can speak an open mind, where it's okay to make mistakes and so on. And that that sort of, you know, there's 14 of us now, and you know, it's it's, a, it's an open door, it's really close, and people are enjoying it. We're really aware of flexibility and what people need in terms of like work-life integration, not just work-life mm-hmm. balance, but making sure that you know both go together really, really well. Um, and in terms of like just being remote and you know being able to operate and execute efficiently online is you know we're masters of Zoom. Zoom education is what we use to <laughs> the, deliver um, education. But you know Slack's been great. You know the whole sort of online working stat. We've spent a lot of time thinking about technology which we might use to bring people closer together. Um, and when you're recruiting, just making sure that you know the candidates you're you're speaking to, you know, are okay working remotely and you know mm. for for 50 of the people in the uk working remotely is an absolute dream come true and um, right. for maybe some people it's, it's more difficult so just making sure people are comfortable in that environment as well now that that's great and maybe back on that subject how how you know as a founder and as a remote founder have you kept the team and your mental health uh, up 
fundamentally. How, how, do, you, how do you remain sane? <laughs> what are the tricks and tips? You know, being a, being a co-founder of Founders has been an amazing journey in personal development. I've been a younger founder, been at a different stage of career than Lorna and Andrew. Um, been through an amazing journey of personal development. I think mental health is really important. You know, when you found a company, spend a year, try to get the idea off the ground. You spend a year proving the idea and then you spend a year trying to grow it and scale it. And then, you know, next two or three years, you're hoping to grow to some sort of acquisition or exit opportunity. Um, and sort of the responsibilities and pressures on you change throughout that time. The first year was great, fine, but I wasn't getting paid. Second year, you're like super excited because you just raised a pre-seed funding round, but then you've got to think about recruitment and all the pains which come from being like a first-time founder and putting pressures and policy in place. Um, so yeah, it's been been really interesting, but you know, the three founders, what we do is we rotate a four-day working week. So every three weeks we get a Friday off and that really helps. Oh, you know, that's great. In the morning. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. And at the same time, we try to implement that as well for the staff. So we don't do a an eighty percent, hundred percent work four day work week, but we do a condensed four day work week. So the way we do sort of full time education, part time education, we try and just make it as flexible as possible for people to fit their lives in and around work and work in and around lives. Um so yeah, it's been been a super journey. No, that that's amazing and that says bring the culture and the organization that you mm. you really want to work in. Uh and maybe just just in conclusion of this fantastic topic mm. and discussion, what is your maybe positive message because we have this tradition in, in the podcast to leave everybody with a warm and fuzzy feeling. And we talked about a lot of great stuff, but what's, what's your final positive message? Yeah. So, you know, you know, I spend a lot of time at Capsock speaking with learners and sort of thinking about careers advice and how people can progress. And what always comes up is a, um, you know, like a feeling of fear or a feeling of pressure when people are in an interview situation or a situation mm -hmm. where, um, you know, they've been investigated. So for example, salesperson pitching, whatever they're selling. Um, so the advice, you know, I always like to give is when you go into these meetings and go into these situations where you're under pressure is to go in with a, a mentality where you want to help the other person so if you go in for an interview go in thinking i want to help this organization i want to help this particular hiring manager solve their problems and if you use that mindset throughout your life in terms of, i just want to help people i want to you know everything is about other people and not myself and how i feel it really helps overcome things like fear and anxiety when you're going into high pressure situations no that, that's brilliant Jonathan, thank you so much <laughs> for the time, the thoughts, and thank you for making a change both in cybersecurity and in the diversity field. And I see it's really a champion in both worlds. So thank you for making the world a little bit easier to get into, the cyber world and the world a little bit more secure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody stay safe and learn more about Caps Lock. We're going to put all the, all the information in the show notes. Everybody, goodbye and stay safe. See you later. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.